But as we age, we actually need to kind of focus more of our attention on how we exercise the execution of wanting to be intimate because it's not always just going to be laid in our lap and we're like oh look at me a big bucket if i want to have sex so it really goes into how do we fine-tune those routines right welcome back to an all-new season of off the ground the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life channel your inner girl boss and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media In just a few minutes, we're going to bring on the incredible Dr. Jessica Shepard. She's a board-certified OBGYN, women's health expert, and minimally invasive surgeon. She is the founder and CEO of Sanctum Med Plus Wellness, a premier health practice that incorporates the service of concierge medicine and wellness programs, including yoga, a pelvic physical therapist, acupuncture, nutritional services, meditation, and also life coaching in her hometown of Dallas, Texas, where she lives with her husband and two young sons. Dr. Shepard is also a well-known media personality as seen on Good Morning America, The Today Show, The Talk, Dr. Oz, CNN, MSNBC, CBS News, you name it. She's on the advisory board for Women's Health, Healthline, womenshealth.org. It's August and has written for numerous publications, including Vogue, Cosmopolitan, Teen Vogue, Essence, and Self. Jamie, jumping in here. Dr. Shepard's passion for women's health issues from disparities in minority care to reproductive justice has allowed her to be an advocate for women, speaking out at various health and wellness events such as Blogger, Well Summit, and Chronic. Recent highlights include a chance to take the podium at the Women's March in New York City in 2020 and being recognized for her work on the cover of Cancer Wellness and in the pages of Shape Magazine's special Women Run the World September issue. In her practice, Dr. Shepard strives to address the intersection of physical, sexual, and emotional health to achieve overall wellness, and that's exactly what we want to dive into today. Listen to today's show if your sex life is lacking or maybe you just want to turn up the heat. You're curious if winter vagina is actually a thing. Is that a thing, guys? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. And you want to know if it's actually possible to OD on sex toys. All right. All right. Let's bring Dr. Jessica in to shed a little light on all of this and more. Welcome, Dr. Jessica. We are so grateful to have you here today. And a big shout out to my colleagues at Prevention and Good Housekeeping for the intro. So ladies, are we ready to talk about sexual wellness? I have never been more ready in my life. (laughs) I know you are, Dave. Thanks so much for being with us, Dr. Jessica. Absolutely. It's a fun topic. Yeah, well, we're ready to dive in. So Heidi here. So we hear so much about our physical, emotional, spiritual, and even our financial health, but sexual health and wellness seems to be a bit more taboo still. (laughs) So can we just start from the very beginning? How would you define sexual wellness? And we're not just talking about like how often you have sex, right? It's more than that. (laughs) I think, I think that's kind of where we can start because most people have this association with sex of, you know, penetrative sex, you know, and it really does transpire so much beyond just the actual interaction or the encounter. And that's really where I want, you know, everyone, not just women, but women and men to understand the difference between sex and sexual wellness and sexual intimacy, because they're all different ranges of sex. But we just have to understand what that means and understanding that it's a very big part of our health. All right. All right. All right. This is Jamie. So I, I got to get in here because like, no pun intended. So here's the thing. <laughs> and I talk about this all the time and there's no shame in my game. Like my sex life ebbs and flows. And I also make no 
secret of the fact that like I love the shit out of my husband. Like we love each other, but COVID times we're together a lot. Like sometimes I'm just not in the mood. And but I used to always be in the mood. So I'm like, what's up with that? So can we just talk about libido? Because I wonder if it tends to lag with age. Like, am I normal? But also, how do we get our groove back? And like, are there any supplements or foods that we should be taking or avoiding? Give me the give me the deets. I love that, you know, you're talking about it ebbs, it flows, you know, being with your partner all the time. And then maybe you're not wanting to be with them in that way all the time. That's really sexual health because it really goes across the range of things that we have to maybe do in order for us to be motivated to be, you know, have libido or with age, just like when you're thinking about your bone health or your brain health or heart health, as you get older, some of those things start to change. And it's understanding those changes as we age um, that we can adjust and then in tune, tap into it a little bit more because there are some, sometimes we're going to have to make up for those deficits. And with age, usually for women, that's going to be with our hormones. And when we see those shift in those hormones, that's when we start to see those changes in libido, which is actually the desire that like desire to really have some type of intimacy with yourself or with others. So like, should we be doing something to spark our libido? Like I get sent products and supplements all the time that are like to rev up your sex life. And I don't really know what I should or shouldn't be taking. There's a lot of areas of like wellness and supplements that I'm very well schooled on, but libido is just not one of them. And I think it's because it's so secret and taboo. Is there anything that we should be doing, taking, eating that could contribute to a better libido? Now, if we're talking strictly about hormones, as you start to age, you're going to see a decrease in your hormones, specifically estrogen and testosterone. And testosterone, you know, women do have testosterone. I think there is the misnomer that only males have testosterone. We do have testosterone as females, just a smaller amount. So even if we have a smaller amount and it starts to deplete, we really need to understand what we need to do in order to kind of maintain that level of testosterone. And that can come in the form of, do we restore testosterone with supplements such as if you use testosterone creams or pellets that can happen as someone gets a little bit older in age. But what I really also want women to understand and men too, is that the pleasure and intimacy that we see decline with age really is where we need to kind of revert our mental focus and our emotional focus to shift that focus back to our bodies and how we take a different approach to sexual wellness and well-being. But like, can I just eat 10 oysters and will that do anything, right? I mean, you hear all of these misconceptions like, okay, I'm going to start slurping oysters. Do not OD on oysters, please. We're going to have to like carry you out of the restaurant and be like, she OD'd on oysters and she's trying to have a good time tonight. Now, I think that there are foods that definitely restore or energize how we feel, but that also contributes to like exercise, right? We know that exercise increases our endorphins. And so that's, again, why it's so important to focus on nutrition and also exercise as a part of the component of how we feel about ourselves, especially as we age. Because our physical health obviously impacts our sexual health. Okay, it, so as it directly impacts, directly impacts it. saying that, yes. I would imagine the emotional health does too, right? All of it, right? You, I mean, that if you look at your receptors, you know, the brain is just a wonderful thing, that brain. Uh, I think <laughs> we understand 
underestimated and underutilize it. But when you look at like neurotransmitters and how they release, you have those that kind of like boost our mood and how we feel. And then you have ones that kind of like depress and suppress how we feel. So as we start to have issues with anxiety or pain, people of chronic pain and depression, you'll start to see that they have more of a response to the receptors that are going to give them that shift of mood kind of Uh, kind of decreased mood. So we really need to find all of those things in food, nutrition, mental health, how we're going to increase all those boosts to our neurotransmitters and how we feel. There's also something I feel like you have sex, you want more sex. Like, I think tell us how you feel. (laughs) (laughs) I think like, it's sort of like, you know, it's like you, you exercise and it feels good. And then all of a sudden you start Mm -hmm. to crave exercise. Like, I have a lot of sex because I think I've always had a lot of sex. And so my body, it's just a part of what makes my body happy. I think that that is such a great point because a lot of people, when you're twenties, yes, you're running around and your hormones are raging, but as we age, we actually need to kind of focus more of our attention on how we exercise the execution of wanting to be intimate because it's not always just going to be laid in our lap and we're like, Oh, look at me, a big bucket if I want to have sex. So it really goes into how do we fine tune those routines, right? Just like when you work out, I, I mean, I love working out, but it's like when you get there, you're okay. But it's like waking up and actually getting there. That's when you're like, oh man, this sucks. I don't necessarily always want to do this. Same thing with sex, right? I love that description though, because that actually takes a lot of the shame away from like, you feel as a woman really bad if you don't always want to have sex, then your husband wants to have sex and you're like, oh, what's wrong with me? I'm a bad wife. But when you look at it in the same way as And I don't mean that in like the 1950s way, like I'm a bad wife, but like, come on, we all (laughs) want to show up for our partners in a way that's romantic and makes everyone feel good and ourselves. But I I like that. I don't always want to go to the gym, but once I get there, I'm always elated because I know it's good and it's actually fun. And then there's endorphins. So sometimes you might just need to get yourself into the groove, get over the hump and don't, you don't need to like want it all the time. Sometimes you just maybe got to like get the fire burning and then it's, and then it's flaming, right? And also there's like different types of sex, right? There's like the quickie, there's the, you know, maybe I want to spend five hours having some type of intimacy and intercourse. And then five hours, like, I don't know. I was putting that out there to see who would respond. All of us were like, I don't know about that five hour thing. We all have children. Sorry. Knocking at the door, right? Yeah. But there's different types of sex. There's different types of way that we can relieve ourselves or experience pleasure rather. I think that that's the better way to uh, say it is experience pleasure. Pleasure really is uh, something that we should have a daily practice in, right? We do things every day that kind of fit that that thing of pleasure, that things that make us feel good. Um, but we need to put kind of sexual intimacy into that bucket of things that make me feel good. And how do I get to that point where I'm going to maximize my pleasure? So I always say this to my husband, I just need some pheromones. Um, and, and I feel like this is, I don't know how to say this without being completely gross, but sometimes I feel like I need his juices because it makes me feel connected to him. And I don't know if I'm making that up, but there's just something I'm just, I will say to him, that's like our secret sex code. I need some pheromones. I need your pheromones. 
No, that is that is like very intentional. I think that how we frame our pleasure and our sexuality is your experience. Everyone has different experiences on how they get to a level of where they want to uh, interact with themselves or their partners when it comes to pleasure. So that's like the psychosocial part of how we experience. But is there a little science to that? Like, is there oh. some science to the juices? <laughs> I love everything about this conversation, by the way. I love everything about because I love that Heidi's cringing. But Megan, I also love that you're I'm just I'm an hysteric. But I love it. And I also love though that that Megan, your love language is clear and honest and authentic enough that you can have a conversation with your husband that is so like you guys, you're partners and it's real. And I I yes. dig it. Personally, I dig it a lot. <laughs> No, I feel like that's a, a wonderful somatic awareness of how you feel. So that's like our sensations, the senses, the emotions of how you feel. You just have a very different somatic awareness of you don't think makes- everyone just says i need your juices <laughs> i'm gonna say it tonight and george is gonna be your bff forever Megan. Yes. oh my god right we're gonna do a poll and have everyone ask that question to their partner and see what's putting it on the ground <laughs> perfect <laughs> okay so i also this is this is i have all the questions and it's not just because i was a former cosmo editor but there's sometimes i feel like i need an owner's manual for my vagina as i'm getting older right like I just feel like things are changing. I just turned 46, may have had to have a skin tag removed, not sure where it came from. Um, I'm hearing like all of these new things about you're going to have this dryness and this and that. Like, can you just give us the like the 411 on our aging vagina? Like, what are the watchouts? Yeah. That sounds so uh, funny that you say the aging vagina, but truly, I mean, it does age like everything else in our I mean, body and the postpartum vagina, which is a very different and the vagina. Postpartum That's vagina. What I was say, James. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> but as we talk about the aging vagina, no, clearly we know that every part of our body ages differently, but the vagina does age. We talked about hormones earlier, estrogen, testosterone. Now, this is where estrogen plays like a big part in what we see in the changes in the vagina. So as estrogen starts to decrease and shift, probably like in our 40s, perimenopause phase, and then going into menopause, usually in your mid 50s, is that estrogen really contributes to the vibrancy, as I like to call it, of the vagina, like how plush the tissue is, how much secretions we have, um, and really the irritability of the actual tissue of the vagina. Typically, what I'll see with patients is they'll complain of a dry vagina or the tissue is much more fragile, so they're more likely to get cuts and um, it just doesn't, it feels what they call like dry or prickly. So that's typically with estrogen decreasing. It's a thing. It is exactly what happens, but what I love is that not only explaining what happens and some of the not great things about the aging vagina, but we have so many things to kind of restore that. So we've come a long way in talking about it, understanding the changes, but also providing solutions and options for the aging vagina, as you termed it. So this is okay. Two things. I just got an email with the subject line winter vagina. Now, I guess anyone can have a winter vagina. And the whole premise of this email was the same way your face gets 
dried out in the winter, the same thing can happen to your private parts. I was going to ask you about that. Is it chapped? Is it a weathered vagina? This winter vagina? Does it need a hat and glove? Apparently, this was news to me. I was like, um, keep an eye on my winter vagina. I'm like, are people going out with their vaginas uncovered in the winter? As a a former publicist, this sounds like publicist talk. I'm just just putting it out there. This sounds like a clickbaity publicist email, but I'm here for it. I want to hear if it's a real thing, Dr. Shepard. Yes. So I, I do think that there are changes with weather. The one thing about the vagina that it's good at is that it is able to restore a little bit more moisture than your face because it's not exposed. Not unless you're walking, like you said, Heidi, with your vagina all over your body <laughs> in the winter months. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, there's definitely times where you'll start to see changes throughout seasons, but not, I, I'm not going to say that it's going to be like your weathered face and chapped lips during I've the winter. i my spring, my summer, my winter vagina, the seasons of the vag. <gasps> my vagina is <laughs> a little Oh my God, we can market vagina scarves for your winter <laughs> vagina. <laughs> Fur-lined hanky-pankies or whatever. They're going to be knit. I think we should have some knit and then some woven cashmere. <gasps> Cash uh, I'm calling Good Housekeeping's Knitting Club. This is a thing. <laughs> Wait, okay, so Dr. Jessica, this makes me think, though. I often work out in leggings without underwear. D- does it go to show, then, that I should wear underwear with my leggings? Is that helpful? No, you don't need to. You can still go you know, commando in your leggings. That's completely fine. I think a lot of people do. One thing about the vagina is it does like to be aired out in the sense that One, you know, women who have maybe recurrent yeast infections or bacterial vaginosis, one of the things we like to encourage women to do is sometimes air it out in the sense that at night, sleep without underwear to make sure that there's airflow throughout that area so it's not becoming moist. Moisture really is the reason why you'll start to see people having increased yeast infections um, or vaginitis. Huh. I mean, all these things that we just... I know, Heidi, you love this. Totally. I have so many questions, actually. Um, I want to circle back to something you were talking about with Megan when she asked, when you said something about estrogen falling with age. Jamie and I were both on a fertility journey before we had our first, and um, I was very underweight. And one of the things that my specialist told me was that I didn't, I wouldn't have enough estrogen until I hit a certain weight to even entertain the idea of getting pregnant. So do people who are underweight also need help with estrogen? Is that a thing or is that just fertility? That is a great question. So for your specifically, that was a fertility question because they were looking specifically at the amount and type of estrogen that they were wanting to get you to that point where they could look at a fertility perspective. Now, one of the interesting things that we see is that fat tissue actually generates a different type of estrogen. And that's why when we see women who are overweight, perhaps might have a different or a higher level of estrogen because your fat tissue, also known as the adipose tissue, can uh, generate estrogen. So that's where we have to be careful um, for people specifically when it has to do with, say, endometrial cancer, is that adipose tissue can increase that estrogen level. So it's kind of like on both ends of the scale. Sometimes there are people who can have decreased estrogen, but it usually has to do with where are we trying to get your estrogen levels in order to to get you to ovulate, say. So that's a particular... So not so much for sexual wellness, not so much for that. No, not so much for that. It's more to do with your eggs. Are they coming? Are they going? What are they doing? Mm -hmm. Good to know. Okay. 
Dr. Jessica, I want to talk about something that I'm a little more familiar with. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> so I'm a yoga expert and, you know, Mula Bandha is basically pelvic floor in yoga. And so it's one of the locks. It's your root lock and engaging Mula Bandha is doing a Kegels. I just didn't know that for years of my yoga practice. <laughs> um, so I'm super fortunate. I had twins. I had another... I've never had problems with peeing after labor, peeing during exercise, but I feel like I'm seriously the only mom I know in that situation. And I, I, it, it has to be the yoga. <laughs> Everybody- I, pee, I pee in my pants on the rag. I just peed my pants right now because you made me laugh. <laughs> Are you going to tell Dr. Oz again, Megs? Probably. (laughs) Um, No, but I feel like I'm so in the minority there. Like after having babies, not having that issue at all. And I I can only imagine that it's because of all of the mula bandha and pelvic floor work that I do in yoga. So for people that haven't lived that, (laughs) can we talk a little bit about pelvic floor? How does one strengthen it if they don't do it on the reg? And why does it matter so much? The pelvic floor is like, I find it's like key to how we thrive. Um, I, I think we neglect the pelvic floor a lot in the sense that the pelvic floor can be damaged, not damaged in a bad way, but it is it is worked on during pregnancy because you have literally an entire human in there for up to 10 months at the most. So when you have those changes in your pelvic floor, resting on your pelvic floor, your bladder is very close proximity. I like to call it the apartment above. So, you know, you're in your apartment, that's the vagina, the apartment above, that's the bladder, right? And so you have- Is it winter? Is it winter in the apartment above? (laughs) It is not. It It is like temperate season the entire time in the apartment above. But basically, you start to have all these changes with your pelvic floor, and that impacts the ability of what your bladder is able to do many times. I think that it's not talked about a lot. Most bladder changes after in the like right after postpartum are transient in the sense that they'll usually go away with time. But there are women who start to have bladder changes after they have a baby and they just really don't go away. So there can be like leakage of some urine, et cetera. So I do believe I'm kind of with you on that. I was very big on pelvic floor exercises prior to when I got pregnant. And I found that it saved the day after because I had done so much pelvic floor work before that during pregnancy, I was able to uh, sustain the strength of the pelvic floor. I feel like we only associate pelvic floor strength with incontinence, but it, does it also affect your sex life? What else does it impact? Absolutely. So when we think of pelvic organ prolapse, so that's typically with age again, with organs starting to fall down a little bit. That's when you start to see people having, you know, vaginal prolapse um, and the uterine can prolapse. And basically that's when it just starts to shift a little bit more towards the vaginal opening. And those a lot of times have to be corrected with surgery. So the pelvic floor again is part of that. What are you able to do before that can withstand some of the things that are going to occur physiologically later in life? So that's why I always, you know, in my practice now, I have a pelvic physical therapist because for so many women, it doesn't have to be that postpartum phase. I'm like, if you're in your 20s or 30s, it doesn't hurt to have a consult with a pelvic floor therapist so you can learn how to strengthen your pelvis before you need it to work for you, right? It's kind of like you want your body to be at its best, not when it's at its worst, but when things start to change, you've kind of built it up to kind of help you and withstand some of those changes. 
I did a Kegel the whole time you were talking, just so you know. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the worst Kegel doer, which is actually why I partnered with a product called Innovo, which helps you do Kegels. It's a really cool mm. product and I like it a lot because I really have had pelvic floor issues. And what I learned when I went to a pelvic floor physical therapist, first of all, did not know what it was when I was going, thought I was going to do lunges and squats. I was like, and Jamie? your fingers inside my body. Jamie, I went to one because of you, because of that event that you had when you were pregnant with Asher. I was the one who yes. won the session with the pelvic yes. floor therapist. Well, I did not realize that that was going to occur, but it was, it is how you do pelvic floor physical therapy because there is manual manipulation of certain areas inside your body that need to be fixed. I was convinced I had prolapsed, by the way, it all just shifted back into place, but I was so scared after my first baby. I was like, everything's falling out of my body and I'm never going to be able to like pee again. Anyway, it, it all went back in place. But what I learned was that in other countries, pelvic floor PT is totally normal and covered by, well, they don't even have to have insurance, but it's actually it's done. It's par for the course. It's part of delivery. It's not even like optional. Australians are really good at that. The Brits are good at that. Canadians are good at that. Um, but yeah, it's a big part of the entire package of what comes with pregnancy. So I'm like totally advocating for it. And that's why I have it in my practice now because it's so important. I was told that we're the only developed nation that didn't have it as part of birth. Just like we are really trying to fight, um, you know, time off work after having a baby. Right. I know. Yeah, I know little things. things. These are the things. Get back to those emails. What are you, what are you complaining Ugh. about? Stop crying. You just pushed out a human 48 hours ago. Yeah. No pain All right. off, Left turn. I got to wrap this up with my favorite question to make Heidi blush. Here I go. Are you ready? <laughs> Jamie, <laughs> my cheeks are already red. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to go there. Megan's blushing way more. Let's. Are you scared? No. No, because you know what? We're all grown-ass women, so let's talk masturbation. So here's what I want to ask, okay? I want to talk about how important it is or isn't. Like, if you are in a relationship, what is normal? This is the thing that women are more embarrassed to talk about than anything. Men joke about it all the time. They're not embarrassed about it. They make jokes about it on, like, primetime TV. It's like a normal part of the conversation. And women, it's like you want to throw yourself out the window if anyone were to talk about it. Why? It's part of sexual wellness. Am I right? And can it also be the key? Because I've heard a lot of my girlfriends saying that they've had problems with orgasm their whole life. Maybe they've never been able to achieve that. Is there something in self-pleasure that can perhaps lead to a better sex life? Self-pleasure should be the the first part of how we explore self-sexually. And I think that's where we kind of see the problem is we're taught as women, society, you know, societal standards is we're not supposed to talk about it. We're not supposed to know what's down there. We're not supposed to explore. And so then when it's time to enter into a relationship, we're like, what the hell do I do with that stuff down there? And then we're, you know, we're traumatized. So it's like all these micro traumas from like the time you're born until you're into your sexual, you know, being and within a relationship and then we're supposed to know what to do. So that's why a lot of women typically are, are very afraid of um, exploring themselves or understanding what pleasure is. And then they're not able to express that to their partners, right? So if they don't even really know what's good for them or what makes them feel good through masturbation or through exploring themselves and understanding pleasure, then they're not able to relate that to their partner. And then that's what throws the relationship off a lot of times. They're not able to understand it and explore it. It's such a great way that we should talk about sexual wellness in adolescence and puberty rather than don't do it. And this is just penetration. That's all we really tell them. So I have a follow-up question to that because I've, 
I feel like I've read a lot. I've heard a lot that if women use like clitoral stimulation toys, that it'll make it so that it's not as good in with another human. Is that correct? Oh, interesting. Never so heard that, that. that is, uh, I've heard that a lot. Um, uh, so I think there's varieties of it. There's always a scale, right? There are people who probably do overuse toys. And, you know, at that point, it becomes they can't function without it. So that's different. So where they have to use it every day or multiple times a day, and they can't do things without getting that done. That's different. Now it does, it does not take away the ability for you to orgasm with your partner. The, the good thing is that you have to understand that there's a difference between like a mechanical uh, giving you pleasure, um, a toy versus the intimacy that you might have with another person with you achieving that orgasm. And those are two different phenomenons, but are both very healthy. It's just we have to explore what that range of health is for a person when it comes to masturbation, using a toy. I mean, people use uh, intimate toys with their partner. Right. So it doesn't always have to be if you're using a toy that has to be alone, secluded and, you know, no one knows about it. It can be a very healthy part of your relationship with your partner. Yeah, we did a partnership actually on this show with um, a fun, intimate uh, toy company. And I just thought it was a lovely thing. We received this box. Megan and I were like, it's Christmas in July. <laughs> like it was, you know, like, I don't know, Heidi, how you felt about it. I think you, I think you were into it, but like we all have I our- was a huge fan of the candle wax because that's like the best massage wax ever. Well, there you go. <laughs> but I have I- a really bad back. <laughs> that's why I do yoga. And that's practical. But I, I think it's a, I think it's a beautiful way to just celebrate and maybe get outside of the box, no pun intended, but be a little bit adventurous, right? Because I think maybe that's part of also what hangs us up. When we have been married 10 plus years, as all of us, I think on this show have, mm-hmm. things can get stale. So I guess really the, the challenge is how can you keep pushing yourself to make it fun and to be fun and to have fun in your relationship? Cause it should be fun, right? It should be. And that comes with communication, talking to your partner, vibing with them, trying new things. Totally. Love it. All right. Well, I mean, I we pretty much covered the gamut. Heidi, do you want <laughs> yeah. to take us on to the karma call? <laughs> sure would love to. All right, Dr. Jessica. Our very last segment is called Meg's Karma Call. Oh, I loved when you say that so much. Um, but I will explain that karma is the Sanskrit word for action. So we ask all of our amazing guests, you, what is an actionable item that our listeners could do, like a small action for, say, like a week or two weeks that would yield a giant result? Absolutely. I think that people should, this is my call to action, is that we should at least look at ourselves in the mirror at least twice over the next week to actually look at our private parts and understand what they look like, what they are, and possibly touch them. I don't know. That's like the next step. Can you actually touch I'll them? I'll do it, Dr. Jessica. No mind. problem. I got you. <laughs> Megan's like, I'm doing it right now. <laughs> Zoom only touches the top of me. <laughs> well, can everyone who's listening do that is the question. So if there's anyone listening who has been a little hesitant about their private area um, and their genitalia, if they can actually look at it with a mirror and actually touch it and see where they can sense some pleasure in those areas. And it doesn't always have to be on the clitoris. There are people who are like inner thighs, on the labia, on the wherever. Figure out what your pleasure points are and look at it. 
It's kind of like the Mel Robbins, like high five theory where you high five yourself in the mirror, only you're like high five in your vagina kind of, right? Yeah. Did I nail it? (laughs) Get to know her. (laughs) Well, that was amazing. I can't think of anything better than this conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. I hope you all at home did too. Thank you for tuning in. And thank you to Dr. Jessica Shepard. Dr. Jessica, where can everybody find you on Instagram? Yes, please come find me at Jessica Shepherd MD or at Sanctum Med Wellness. That's my practice. We always talk about sex on that. So at Sanctum Med Wellness. Fabulous. Yay. And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off the Gram Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to our show anywhere podcasts can be consumed. We'll see you next time. Dr. Jessica Shepherd has left the chat. Yeah. All right, guys. Heidi, are you blushing or are you good? I had so many more questions. <laughs> I love that you were blushing, but then when you got in there with yes. the uh could you numb your clitoris with too much toy stimulation question? And <laughs> I was, I was like, like I Yeah, mean. girl. Well, yeah. I feel like I read that everywhere. And I was honestly, honestly curious if it came like from the Catholic Church or something to like shame girls into not masturbating or something. I really was curious mm-hmm. about that. I have had the question, so I was glad you asked it. <laughs> Heidi with the hard hitting journalism. But I thought she was awesome. I just love when people talk about look, period. I love when people talk about sex with a straight face because it should be well or a goofy face, but like not a shameful face because that is just not what it's supposed to be about. Right. Yeah. And everybody, you know, other like the European countries think we're such prudes in America because we are. And like, they can talk about normal things and we're all like, <laughs> it's, it's I mean, crazy. I remember being in Monaco and they would just like walk from the beach up to lunch with their tatas out. And I was like, get it girl. And I was like, what is wrong with our country? Yeah. Well, you know, the beach, topless beach, it's just, we are prude in America, but yeah. it's beyond prude. We're a country of shame. Yes. You know what I was yeah. liking what she was saying too? It's like, yeah, we'll prioritize our workouts. We'll prioritize meditation and eating well. We do not prioritize our sexual wellness. And it's crazy to me. Like sex is just as important as a workout. You're right. And I remember Marsky Avocampo when she was on our show, she had, she had just been on page six for something about her like lockdown orgasms. And she was like semi blushing over it, but it was like a really great point that she made about taking time for pleasure amidst these crazy times. And she had kind of brought it in the same light, right? Like it, it is such an important part of our wellness regimen. And if we're not taking the time to focus, like I think part of my problem is I'm always waiting for it to hit me over the head. And if I don't just feel like on fire in the mood, like I used to and like you know, the early days of my relationship, which is just intrinsically different. We were early in our relationship. We didn't have kids. There was less stressors. It was just a different time. And that's okay. You were in your twenties. <laughs> well, I wasn't quite, oh, I wasn't okay. quite but I was, I was a little younger. And I think just the point is, is like, it might not hit me over the head, but it doesn't mean I shouldn't be going out and seeking it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I hope that we encourage some of our listeners to carve a little time out for themselves or their partners or screw their partners themselves (laughs) and to give their vagina a big old high five in the mirror tonight. But don't hurt her. Don't hurt her. Be gentle. Oh, that winter vagina. vagina. Well, I think we opened up a can of worms. I hope everyone at home enjoyed it. And uh, don't forget to follow us for more riveting conversations about vaginas and all other things wellness. Right, guys? No doubt. (laughs) And don't forget to follow us on the gram at Off the Gram Podcast. Hey, we're doing a new little post every week where we have uh, a rant or some sort of a topic that we ask you to weigh in on. So check that out. Do give us a vote. We like to hear from you guys what your thoughts are on our various topics. And come over and interact uh, uh, with us on, on Off the Gram 
podcast over on Instagram. And of course, follow us at our individual Instagrams, which is Heidi Christopher, Megan D. Murphy, and NYC Fit Fam. We are here for you. And don't forget to subscribe to our show anywhere podcasts can be consumed so you never miss an episode. We'll see you next time.